welcome to the first ever episode of Wild Research Bite podcast, which is brought to you by the Swedish University of Agricultural Sciences. We're two PhD students from this university. And my name is Olli Hyvärinen. And my name is Emily Fredriksson. Yeah, and in this episode, we're going to first tell you our vision about this podcast. We're going to talk a little bit more about this university and also then introduce ourselves and also talk about the future episodes and what topics we are about going to cover. Absolutely. And first of all, our vision is to inspire and educate students, colleagues and nature interested people about current research and news and also to provide insights into our work as scientists and students. Also, we aim to gain new knowledge through interviews and diving into a specific topic every episode. Yeah, fun. Yeah, we're super excited about this. So let's introduce our university a little bit. Yeah, let's do that. So Swedish University of Agricultural Sciences, and we're going to call it SLU because it's a lot easier. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. A good acronym. Yeah, so it's, yeah, as we said, in Sweden, and there's five different campuses on five different cities in Umeå, in Sweden. In Sweden, yeah. <laughs> we are in Umeå, though. And there's also four different faculties. So we sit in the forest, forest sciences faculty, but there's also landscape, architecture, horticulture, and crop production sciences, uh, natural resource, agricultural sciences, and the last one, veterinary medicine and animal science. What are the cities, by the way? Can you mention? Yeah. You mentioned Umeå already, where we are, actually. Yeah. But what are the other... Which is up in the north in Sweden, but there's also the others are in the south of Sweden. So it's Uppsala, which is close to Stockholm. And then we also have Skinskatteberg, kind of a strange name. <laughs> also Skara and Alnarp, which is like the furthest south in Sweden. All right. That sounds really, really cool. Yeah. So at the forest faculty, we then have seven departments. And the department where we are sitting <laughs> is called Wildlife, Fish and Environmental Studies. So we're both doing our PhD here, and I'm in my first year. You're you too. I'm also right? in my first year. Yeah, it just yeah. started a couple of months back. Yeah. So we're in the very beginning of our research, actually. But yeah, what about? Uh, can you maybe explain a little bit more about what kind of research we do in this department? Yeah, of course. We have some like uh, research areas. Uh, the first one is animal ecology, which is the part where you're in, Oli. Yeah, absolutely. So they do work around monitoring and management of different animals. So for example, voles, reindeer, moose, rhino, and also some social science going on. Yeah, so we have basically animals uh, from the Nordics, but also we there's a focus on ecology and wildlife in Africa and the African savanna ecosystems. Yeah. And we're going to get into that a little bit more when I talk about my own research. Yeah, perfect. We also have um, aquatic ecology. They do work on migratory fish, salmon. You also have a molecular ecology group, which do genetics and DNA. Yeah, what is actually molecular ecology? Is it focused on genetics Yeah. and DNA? I don't really know much more than that, um, but... We should have somebody on the podcast. Absolutely, in the future, <laughs> in the future episodes, we're going to invite people into the podcast, and we're going to talk about this research more in depth. And then we have the last one is restoration ecology, which is the group I'm part of, and we do things concerning conservation, mitigation, forest management, and we look at a lot of different animals and plants, beetles, climate change, forest fire, all these interesting things. Yeah, absolutely. And that's going to be interesting to discuss in the future episodes as well, Yeah, uh, especially in the context of last summer's forest fires. Yes, 
And then we also, we don't only do research, we also do education here in all of SLU. But here in Umeå, we have a bachelor program called Jägmästarprogrammet. What does it actually mean in English? What does Jägmästare mean? I have no idea, actually. Uh, I don't really know what the Swedish name means either. But it's like somebody who knows about forest management industry. But it's a kind of a old title, that yeah, traditional title. And then there's also some master programs. So here at our department, we have a master program called Management of Fish and Wildlife Populations. And there's also another one called Euroforester. And in the future episodes, we're also going to invite students into the studio to talk about their experiences in these master programs. So let's talk about us. Today I'm uh, from Finland, so very close by still. And yeah, I'm... uh, from a place called Kajani. It's mm-hmm. a small town and for southern Finnish people it's a place in the north and for northern people they call it the southern Finland. So it's actually quite middle. Okay. But it, is it west or east? It's very east. It's mm-hmm. uh, Yeah, we would call it eastern Finland as well. Mm. It's uh, very close to the Russian border. Yeah, if you know mo- more about Finnish geography it's on the east side of Lake Oulujärvi. Mm-hmm. Very rural. Yeah, I don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> You have to come and visit. It's a yeah. really, really cool town. I have to. So when you grew up there, how did you start getting into nature things? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I come from a hunter family. Mm. So my grandfather hunts moose and my dad, he's an avid hunter of uh, grouse and small mm-hmm. game. Okay. And he took me to hunting trips and fishing trips since I was a kid. No. Oh. So I've been exposed to nature and hiking and hunting and fishing, getting my own food since very early on. And we used to do it nearby my hometown, but also we took some longer trips to the north of Finland and north mm, of Sweden cool. to places like Enontekiö and Kiruna. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've never been hunting, not in my family at all. Um, I don't think there's a lot of nature, like stated nature interest in my family, but... I just got into it anyway. I just watched Animal Planet and Discovery like so much when I was a kid. I didn't want to watch anything else. Yeah. By the way, Emily, tell me then again, like, where do you come from? Because now we're in Umeå, but you're also not from Umeå per yeah. se. I'm from Sweden, um, but from Piteå, which is 210 kilometers north from here. But there is no university there. So when I was 19, I moved to Umeå to study at the university. Yeah. yeah, and you mentioned that uh, you were watching nature films and stuff, uh, yeah. which were your favorites. What's the Swedish term for the nature films? I know like in Finnish it's called avaraluonto. Uh-huh. Like nature films in general? Yeah, uh-huh. uh, they come from the government-owned Ule uh, mm-hmm. TV. Uh, I don't, I don't, can't think of a term for that in Swedish, but I really liked the Animal Planet show about meerkats. Yeah, meerkats yeah. are really, really <laughs> cool animals. <laughs> Super cool. Yeah, no, very that's, social. That's where it started, I guess, somehow. Ooh. But then I uh, studied like the nature program at the, what is it called? Gymnasiet, Swedish Gymnasiet, yeah. um, high school, I think. Yeah. yeah, and that kind of like leads uh, to the next question also about our schooling. Yeah. And maybe, Emily, you want to tell us first, uh, what kind of school did you go to before university? Like you said, nature yeah, gymnasium, but how is it different from the normal gymnasium? And maybe you can elaborate a little bit mm. on the Swedish gymnasium system. Yeah, there's like uh, two major theoretical programs. One is the social science and one is the nature science. So I took the nature science, felt very natural <laughs> to me. And... Um, yeah, it's very like broad. You study everything, chemistry, physics, math, uh, programming, 
biology. So it's like prepares you for university, basically. Yeah, that sounds like a very all-encompassing, giving you yeah. skills and tools that you can use in university as well. Yeah, I mean, you miss out on like some practical um, um, like career paths if you want to be painter or something like this. But for everything university, it prepares you really well. So I and how yeah. long is it? In the Netherlands, I know they start uh, high school a little bit earlier. And in mm. Germany, maybe from the year 12 or like when they turn 12 years old. But in Finland, at least, you start it only when you're 15 or 16. Yeah, yeah, it's the same in Sweden, F- from 15 to 18 or something. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Did you also take some kind of nature program? or? Uh, actually, I was, um, yeah, uh, after my secondary school, I decided that I want to learn English. So mm-hmm. here in my hometown, there is a place called Sotkamo, which had a... IB program, so International Bachelorate. It's uh-huh. an international high school program and it was completely taught in English. So okay. I did this one and it was cool because we had the small classes. My biology class, we had three people oh. and the biggest class that I had was English and that was maybe 10, 11 people. Okay. So it was very small class size. So we got a lot of tension from the teacher, which I really, yeah. really like. But that sounds very nice. They are always, there's a lot of complaints about too big you know, class students per teacher. So Exactly. There's a completely different atmosphere of learning when Mm. you have a big classroom compared to a small classroom. Absolutely. What about your bachelor's degree? You said that you did it in Umeå University. Yes. I actually started with the civil engineer program in uh, like energy, uh, technological things. But I hopped off really fast because I, I realized I didn't really want to work with math so much. Then I found the biology program uh, at Ume University, and I just fell in love. It was perfect. Yeah, that so sounds amazing. What kind of courses did you take? So many things. It's very broad, but all the different animal groups and insects and physiology. and. So you had a lot of taxonomy uh, as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of like broad ecology, genetics, things like this. And also a lot of field excursions, which, which I really appreciated. So we took buses with the entire class out into the forest. Yeah, I agree with you in that uh, field excursions are the best way to learn. Yes, absolutely. So that was really fun. I didn't get a job after my bachelor, so then I did my uh, master instead. Or instead, continue with the master. How is it in Sweden? Is it many times uh, very difficult to find work directly after your bachelor's? Or do you usually have to do your master's? Or I think it depends on your topic a lot. And I also didn't want to move from Umeå. If I would have moved, I probably could get a job. But yeah. I really liked it here. so, And I really liked studying at the university. So it was nice. Uh, yeah. And uh, as I understand, at least in Finland, it's the case that if you have a bachelor's in science, it's and if you want to go into research, yeah. it's difficult to get positions in which you can uh, do independent research. So you at least have to have a master's or a PhD mm. degree in order to decide on what you want to research. Okay. And also... Uh, yeah, but what yeah. about your bachelor? Where did you do it? I went to the Netherlands. So directly mm-hmm. after my military service, I uh, moved to the Netherlands, to The Hague, uh, to Leiden University College. But the Netherlands, why there? Sounds, uh, sounds random. It sounds <laughs> random, yeah. But uh, I was looking for programs taught in English. Oh, and yeah. in my field, it's very difficult to find programs taught in Eng- English in Finland or Sweden, okay. uh, especially from the bachelor's level. I also looked Germany mm. and, of course, the United States and the UK, but the tuition fees there are so oh, expensive. Okay. Yeah. In the Netherlands, it was way more affordable to do it. Okay. And 
also I was interested to go to the Netherlands. And yeah. The Hague is an amazing city. Sounds like a cool so, place. Yeah, it's kind of the capital of peace and justice. Uh huh. And my bachelor program it was called Global Challenges. Okay. And my focus and my specialization was in sustainability science okay yeah sounds interesting yeah it encompassed uh, a lot of variety of topics about mm. sustainable energy and yeah. environmental sciences mm. did you like it of, was yeah, it nice i did like it and it was very hectic it was a very intense <laughs> one but i did learn a lot and mm. but how was it to move like you were not that you were 19 or or 20 or something? Uh, 20. 20. Yeah. How was it to move away from your home country? <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. Of course, a little bit scary in the beginning. Yeah. Quite scary, actually. Mm. But I had a friend living in the Netherlands already in the same ah. city. So I think that helped me to kind of acclimatize in the Netherlands. Yeah. And I find the Netherlands very open country. So mm. it's very easy to make friends there as well. Cool. And that helped a lot in yeah. the transition. Very cool. Yeah. But then you went somewhere else too, right? You didn't yeah. you you didn't Netherlands was not too far far away for you. You needed to go further. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I decided to go and do my masters in South Africa in mm. Cape Town because I during my bachelor's I kind of developed this interest towards nature conservation and conservation biology. And in Cape Town, I figured out that they have a really cool program on conservation biology. Cool. So I applied there and I got in. Yeah, amazing. What about you? What kind of uh, master's program did you do? I didn't actually take a master program. I I just picked courses randomly that I thought was interesting and then tied them together to uh, the thesis or yeah, the graduation. Yeah. I took uh, some courses in genetics and evolution because I think that's interesting and also forestry. Yeah, that sounds an amazing method, kind of developing your own master's program in a way. Yeah, I think if you know what you're interested in, I don't think it's a bad way to go. I mean, you get probably less progression in some su subjects, maybe if you're not careful, they can be too broad, but I think it was a good way for me. Yeah, anyway. overall, and I think it's a really good characteristics to be able to choose courses you actually want to do instead yeah. of doing something you kind of have to do in order to pass. Yeah. But yeah, because uh, my master's program in Cape Town was a little bit different. Mm. We had set modules for uh, six months. So okay. we had modules on conservation genetics, population ecology, conservation and society, very mm. interdisciplinary topics, but they were pre-described in a way. And then the second half a year, we had our mini dissertation, okay. like the master thesis. Okay, cool. Uh, without any courses. Were you doing your master thesis also alongside some courses or? No, I did it like after. I took courses for one and a half years and then I did my uh, 30 point or HP uh, master thesis, which was really interested, interesting. I was looking at uh, how hydropower like dams affect plants on the shoreline. So when you have a dam, you regulate the water. So it moves very unnatural and how this affects the plants because they get covered with water and then not up and down like this. That's very interesting. What yeah. kind of plants were you looking at? Yeah, we actually did an experiment. So we grew plants in the laboratory and we planted them out during a summer and measured them. It's really fun. And also a lot of work just digging up those oh, I get <laughs> like shorelines to put the plants. Um, but at least you get to be outside. Yeah, it was a lot of mosquitoes, but... <laughs> like <laughs> uh, common in northern Sweden. We used, what is it, birch. It was a really nice moth disease, actually. And what were your results? Uh, of course, it has an effect 
what kind of effect yes, does it have? Yes, yeah, it was very like super clear results. So we did it in the Ume Elven, the river here in Umeå, and also Bindelelven, which is a like a side river, or like tributary to Ume Elven, which is not regulated by dams. So that was our control or natural river. We could st- the plants didn't die as much. And also we had seeds, so they, they uh, germinated, they grew more than in um, the Umeå River. All right. So it seems to be like harsher conditions when you have the dams regulating the water. Yeah. It, was, it was really fun. And how did you eventually then decide to do a PhD? Because that's an other whole step to decide to do a PhD from your master's. Did you enjoy research and what were your motivations to start a PhD in the first place? I mean, I always like the university setting and I'm very curious. So I like learning new things and it doesn't really matter what it is as long as it's something nature, naturey. Um, but I, when I finished my master, I didn't really want to do a PhD. I wasn't super excited about that. So I, I did some other things. I worked as a nature guide in the mountains in Sweden. I also worked as a consultant in south of Sweden for a while. And that was also really fun. But again, I still wanted to stay in Umeå, and there was this position opened up here in SLU. And yeah, I found it found it super interesting, and I applied for it, and I'm I'm really happy here, so it's yeah. cool. And it sounds good that you also did some other type of work, consulting and as a nature guide, to yeah. kind of get a perspective on what you really want to do. And now at least you know a little bit about the different types of work you can do. Yeah, I think it's... Degree. It's a good to get a perspective outside of academia or the university bubble as well to see how the like results that we produce in science actually are used in conservation or management of yeah, forest or species. Yeah, that's a very, very important and fun part of it. Yeah, but then when you finished your South Africa master, what happened then? Yeah, I was also doing my master's in South Africa in a small game reserve. Hmm. And it was a private reserve. In South Africa, you have uh, like more than 10,000 game reserves that are privately owned. Mm-hmm. And they usually have different assemblages of different animals. Uh, assemblages, animals. what does that mean? Uh, if like a uh, different combination of wild animals. Hmm. And depending on the objectives and goals of the reserve. The land use history is very interesting because in the area they used to farm a lot of sheep and ostriches mm-hmm. and goats. Okay. And this dates back to many hundred years of this kind of land use, which resulted in a very degraded landscape. So a lot of sheep and goats and ostriches in the area resulted in predation of the vegetation. Okay. So because of grazing on the plants, this Mm. led to such an enormous pressure on the land that basically nothing productive would grow on it anymore. Okay. And... Yeah, I was looking how, because they, after the farming period, they turned the area into a game farm Mm. or a game reserve. And my research looked at how this transition from sheep farming and ostrich farming, livestock farming in general, into game ranching. Okay. How this transition has influenced the vegetation. During my master's thesis, I really got into research and doing independent research. And I think that kind of gave me a kick (laughs) towards uh, going into a PhD. Yeah, but you went straight from your master thesis to a PhD? Yeah, I had a half a year break Hmm? while I was applying to different PhDs. And during this half a year, yeah, I just got a reinforcement into my ideas that I this is what I really want to do. And I'm happy that I did. Now that I started my PhD here at Umeå SLU campus, 
I find it very rewarding mm. and sometimes it's difficult to battle between your kind of time, how much yeah. you want to invest your time into the PhD because you could work for 20 hours a day if, if you yeah, had Yeah, there's the like nobody saying yeah. you that don't work that much. <laughs> yeah, so you have yeah. you do have to set those standards for mm. yourself. Cool. But then Sweden, why Sweden? Uh, I've always wanted to come to Sweden oh, really? because since I was a kid, I wanted to learn Swedish. In Finland, we do learn Swedish at school. Hmm. But because I did an international high school, I stopped learning Swedish at the age of 15. Okay. And I actually wanted to come and do an IB in Sweden. But it, yeah, my teachers would <laughs> let me go to Sweden, basically. Okay. They wouldn't let me transition. And it would have been difficult for a 16-year-old person to move abroad. Yeah. So I have this innate feeling that I wanted to come to Sweden and learn Swedish. Hmm. And Perfect opportunity to perfect do a PhD. Opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I think so, too. Yep. And because I'm very passionate about the north and northern Fenescandia, I think this is a bit of an ideal place for me to live now. Yeah, but then, so you found this cool PhD project, I assume, applied for it, came to Sweden? Yeah. So what is it about then, the PhD project? That's a really good question. My PhD is still revolving around the same topic that I was studying for my master thesis. Mm. So it's situated in South Africa. And let me give you some background information yep. a little bit first. So in the area of South Africa, recently been an increase in illegal hunting of mm -hmm. uh, rhinoceroses. Because you're never allowed to hunt them, right? No, They're protected. absolutely not. Mm. They're protected. They're very vulnerable species mm. at the moment. And this species of rhino called white rhino, mm. they were on the verge of extinction in the middle of last century. And they were recovered from this verge of extinction from one founder population. So there was oh, really? like one population of rhinos and a lot of conservation efforts were put into conserving these animals. And this collaborated effort led to increase in the population. Mm, so the, it worked. The it worked, yeah. yeah. So it is a huge improvement. But at the same time, people are illegally hunting them because their horn uh, is very valuable and expensive yeah i think uh, most people heard about the issues with yeah. the yeah hunting both elephants and rhinos for horn, their horns yeah absolutely and this has created a huge pressure on the population and at the moment around 1,000 individuals are illegally killed every year every year every year yeah Ooh. so this could lead in principle to the extinction of the species within a couple of decades that's sad yeah but what my research is looking at, how these animals, how white rhinos influence the plant communities mm -hmm. and vegetation in southern African savannah. Hmm. Because they eat plants, right? That's what they do. Yeah. yeah. So white rhinos are grazers mm. and they are pri primarily, primarily <laughs> <laughs> consuming grasses. And it's very interesting because they are thought to create these areas called grazing lawns. Mm -hmm. So they impose high grazing pressure on very small concentrated areas okay and they remove by this they remove very tall grasses and mm. so you have a, like a, a lawn instead of high grass exactly mm. and the idea is that the lawn areas are very productive mm -hmm. and also beneficial for other species okay and i'm also looking at in addition to the direct impacts on the grasses i'm looking at how the loss of rhinos would impact the local climate mm -hmm. because these grasses reflect sunlight differently oh, into yeah. the atmosphere compared to the taller grasses okay and also they are supposedly sequestering carbon differently sequestering carbon storing carbon storing carbon so basically yeah. 
storing carbon in the grass biomass or mm. in the grass stems and leaves yeah. and also underground. Cool. But, yeah, but how, there was, how are um, you looking at that? I mean, do you have some kind of enclosures or, I mean, like practically, how do you test these things? That's an interesting point because I'm still <laughs> kind of figuring that out. It's okay. a very interesting question because it allows me to develop these ideas how to test this hypothesis and at the moment in the park there are different zones where rhino has been removed so there is kind of this sink and source dynamics Mm. so so there's kind of already an experimental thing going on for you to look at yeah Mm. and this is kind of this rhino removal and these rhinos are usually removed because of they reproduce at such a rate that they need to be removed into other reserves to mm. maintain the rhino population below okay. the herring capacity level. So below mm. the so cap- how much the, the land can take. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So absolutely. That was a long story. And yeah, but it's, it's a very interesting story. It is. And I mean, you're just starting. So I guess you're going to develop these ideas and methods a lot during your PhD. Yeah. And... Definitely. Cool. It's going to be exciting to go to South Africa as well. Yeah. And we also have uh, a course, a PhD course now in the winter going to South Africa. So yeah. we also plan to, to make an episode from, because you're going there. So we plan to do some interviews there too. Yeah, we were actually planning to have our next episode or one of the next episodes to be on the course called Global Perspectives on Wildlife Management. Mm. And this course looks at different adaptive management strategies Mm. in Southern Africa and Sweden and with a comparative approach. And it has a big field component to it Mm. in South Africa. Yeah, it's really cool that we had the opportunity to take these interesting courses as a PhD too, because we we don't only do research, we we take courses as well. Yeah. Because it's a science education program. And this is a really good example of the amazing courses that they offer at SLU. Yeah, absolutely. Also with very high international focus. Mm, Super interesting. What about you? You didn't still mention about uh, your PhD topic. Yeah. Okay, let's let's do that. Also some background maybe. Um, So my PhD project is here, focused here and the like boreal, boreal, boreal. Everybody knows what boreal is? I yeah, hope. I think so. Like At the coniferous the <laughs> forests in the northern part of the world. Um, so it's focused here. And here in Sweden and, and Finland, we have had very intense forest management since the 60s with like uh, cutting down huge amounts of forest, so clear cutting. And we also uh, didn't want our timber to burn down, so we also stopped fire, natural fires from happening. So that is called fire suppression. So a natural forest here in Sweden would have fires killing most of the trees. So we've exchanged the natural, which is the fire, to a clear cutting to get timber from it. So this is negatively affecting a lot of species, especially the ones that require some kind of dead wood, like dead trees, to reproduce. or So in my PhD, I'm looking at, at beetles mostly, and they're very tied to dead wood. So mm, what is, What's the special thing about beetles? Because they are a <laughs> very diverse group of uh, insects, right? Yes, yes. And there, there's been a lot of research on them, so we know a lot of things on them, which is helpful to explain patterns. And there's also so many species as from um, some data collection a few years ago that I've been looking at from three years they found 363 different species in like northern of Sweden and 
if you compare it to South Africa or some kind of tropical like ecosystem, you have a lot of species. And up here, we we have a lot less species. Although a lot still. <laughs> yes, but yeah. but beetles is a, a group that has a very high diversity, as you said. Yeah. So it's a it's a cool group to look at. So what are you looking at uh, in terms of the impact of, of fire suppression yeah. on beetles? And exactly. how are you going to approach that? Yeah, so uh, this PhD project, I think, evolved from this opportunity to look at some really big wildfires that was in Norrbotten, it's like the north of Sweden. So there's three natural fires. There are more than 300 hectares big each, and they all burned 2006. And there's a new, like a lot of studies following the effects of fire on beetles and other species right after the disturbance, like the fire, so the year after. But not many that look a long time after. So now it's 12 years ago since 2006. So we did my, I've done my sampling this summer. So now, and gathered, like, collected the beetles. So we're going to look at the more long-term effects of fire on beetles. And that's an like, amazing approach in uh, ecological research in general yep. to look at like long-time series. Mm. Because many times the effects also happen in long-term in long time yes. uh, rather than just directly afterwards yeah i think disturbance. Uh, we usually think in very short time frames but like ecological things uh, regarding species and nature usually takes you know evolves and changes over such a long period of time that 12 years is not even long <laughs> i guess but it's at least longer yeah how is the phd progressing you said you told me earlier today we're having some morning coffee that uh, you're actually sending your first paper into submitting it into your journal and trying to get it published. Yeah, so that will be my my first uh, experience with uh, sending in a, a manuscript or like a report to then get published, which is going to be super interesting. So that was some data that I got from a researcher here that I will that I've been analyzing this winter and writing a paper about. And now I'm also then starting to work with my own data that I gathered this summer. So that will be the rest of my PhD project will be around that. And for the uh, for you who are not very familiar with PhD and how it goes, maybe it's uh, good to mention that yeah. uh, for our PhD we're looking at one big topic or quite narrow topic actually mm, but like absolutely. in we look at it in many different perspectives. And usually in Sweden, the PhD is divided into four different data chapters. Mm. And each chapter we aim to publish. Yes. But in order to pass the PhD, you have to have one chapter published in a peer-reviewed journal. Yeah, and I think it, that differs from different universities, but that's what what we have here at our department or faculty anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So um, first out of first of four papers soon done, <laughs> which feels really good. Yeah, that's a definite milestone. Yeah. It's always uh, interesting to find out what the reviewers are going to say and what kind of adjustments you have to make into your papers. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of that happening uh, with colleagues or other PhDs or your supervisor that you get feedback all the time and try to be better, which is a very natural part of research i think but i'm gonna also talk more about this topic in a future episode we plan to to discuss the the summer's fires and why is it happening and what does it mean and everything like this so then i can also talk more about 
my project a little bit. Okay, and now lastly, probably it's uh, good to also revise how we came up with this podcast. Yeah. And maybe Emily, you want to take. Yeah, so I can give some credit to the master student who gave me the idea, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, uh, his name is David Gimmel. And me and him and also Isaac Wallström, another master student, we were uh, in the field together this summer. And David, he asked me, it's like, does SLU have a podcast? And I didn't know, so I looked a little bit at it. And there's two others in Swedish from south of Sweden. But, but yeah, they are in Swedish, right? Yes, and yeah. not about forestry. And I thought, yeah, that's a good idea. And I really like photography and media things. So I, I got really inspired and I, I thought, this is a great idea. I really want to do this. And then I also asked asked you when I got back yeah, from the I field if you wanted to join. Yeah. And I thought it's a really great idea. And yeah. it's a great opportunity for us to share uh, our research in the department. Yes. And also share ideas that we are very interested about. Yeah, like reach new students or or new colleagues or people in general interesting about interested about these topics. Yeah. So it's super fun. It so is. let's let's talk about what the topics or the episodes in the future is gonna be like because yeah, we, we have actually a plan. have very exciting topics coming up. So maybe yeah, you can mention a few of them. Yeah, we have our idea is to have in like three different categories. So either episodes about education or research or like current topics or events happening. So we are gonna interview some students here talking about how it is to study at SLU and also an episode about just study skills and productivity in general. Yeah, that's going to be interesting also for not only PhD students, but also researchers as well as master students and bachelor students. Yeah, hopefully we can gather some t- tips and tricks. Uh, so if you have any, you can please send them to us. Yeah. And also we talked about earlier that we plan to do an episode about wildfires this summer and also about more about your research topic about rewilding yeah. rewilding exactly yeah. yeah and then we're going to invite uh, some speakers also who are doing research in the related topics yeah absolutely and we also have the uh, phd course in south africa that we plan to do to do an episode about yeah i also uh, have a friend and who was a student here at the jagmaster programmet who i would like to interview about the the me too movement that happened here last year uh they had a, has- a hashtag called slutavakat so i would like to interview her about that too in an episode and that's going to be interesting actually yesterday we uh, i was doing a course on philosophy of science and mm. ethics and we got a speaker from Ume University talking about gender and science and so we're going to elaborate on that also in the future episode So please come with any suggestions for topics that you have and also give us feedback on how you think this this is working, the sound, the understandability of our language and just general questions and comments. Yeah, and you can find us on Twitter with the name Wild Podcast and on Facebook with Wild Research Bytes. We also have an email address, wildpodcast at slu.sa. Yeah, so please contact us whatever way you like. And thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you so much and see you next time.